This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by lynda.com, who with over 2,000 high-quality and engaging videos, provides a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. lynda.com is there to help you learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. To take advantage of their 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com forward slash The Candid Frame. That's L-Y-N-D-A forward slash the Candid Frame. Whether you're trying to make better photographs of your children, sports, or travel, it's important to understand the core features of your camera. The Candid Frame Photo Essentials ebook and video tutorials will provide you clear and valuable information to make the most of your digital camera. Order it today at thecandidframestore.com and use the promo code TCF 2014 and purchase it for just $59 and help support the show. This week I had the pleasure of finally sitting down with a photographer who has been on my radar for a long time. Not only is Karen Hutton a talented photographer, but she's also a generous and positive force in the creative lives of thousands of photographers all over the world. Her journey has taken her from a successful career as an actress and voice talent to an accomplished photographer. We began by asking her how her photography became a bigger part of her life. Well, okay, first of all, I never had to rediscover it because even though I didn't pursue photography professionally, because to me at that time, that meant, you know, developing, printing my own work. That's what we all did. And so when I couldn't do that, then it meant I couldn't be a professional. That's how it was wired up mm. in my mind. But that was my first choice as a as a career. I mean, that's like my heart and soul is uh, photography. So when I couldn't do it professionally, I never stopped taking pictures. I photographed everything that I did afterwards. So I, you know, had a, I just happened to have interests and abilities in other areas. So um, me being me, I had a list of them and I had them prioritized based on <clears throat> what I felt I had to do at certain ages. So I was a figure skater and a dancer and I knew that I, <laughs> I knew my body wasn't really going to be that excited about it later in life. So I better get busy and do it now because I was in my twenties. So I, you know, was a professional figure skater and a dancer. And then I wanted to be a performer. I mean, I always was a performer, so I wanted to be an actor. So then I went and was an actor professionally. And then, you know, just kind of worked my way down my list and had other opportunities along the way too. So was a voice coach and a voiceover artist. And so through all of those things, um, you know, I had opportunities to photograph events and people and the, you know, the life that was going on. And I, never stopped taking photographs or seeing photographically through the whole the whole mess how did those experiences those professional experiences that you had really help you as a as a photographer because those are really diverse fields all of which pose their own specific challenges mm -hmm. and and what did you learn from each one of those that has really helped you oh my goodness the list is long but so one of the things that, that binds them all, they seem so diverse, but one of the things that binds them all, oh, and I forgot to mention I was a horse trainer and an equestrian. That was like my whole life. That was my 
through line through all of that until my back gave out. So the thing about all of it is it's all a story. And so you're telling stories, you know, people are like, well, how are you telling stories with equestrian uh, arts or whatever? And I said, that is the, the storytelling on the side, more on the psychological side and on the performance side of things. So that was a through line, number one. And so that completely defines my photography now because it's all about story and it's all about how you're making someone feel and what you're presenting and and what you're giving your audience. So everything I ever did was certainly an expression, but, you know, you can go express in a vacuum somewhere and knock yourself out, you know, do whatever. But what matters is how it affects other people because you have an audience and what matters is how you reach them, how you touch them, the story that you tell them um, and what you leave them with. And I've always felt very connected to my purpose and my responsibility in this lifetime. Why, why do you think being a storyteller is so important to you? Because it's Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think we all are sort of hardwired for something. Um, I used to have visions when I was young. I was one of those strange young children who the, the, the spiritual veil was very thin um, when I was young. And so I would have visions and hear voices and so on and so forth. And they weren't creepy or weird. They were all, you know, <clears throat> you know, I knew that I knew they were spirit and God speaking to me. I just it was never <laughs> when I finally learned, you know, the word God or whatever. I was like, oh, is that what that's called? So. One of the visions I had when I was very young, which was peculiar, and I didn't know what to make of it at the time, it's taken a lifetime to, I don't know, really own it and understand what it meant was, <clears throat> you like how within 30 seconds, practically, we're getting weird. So, <laughs> so this vision was of me on a stage and sort of, you know, as dreams and visions go, it's that weird, you know, nether, netherland where you can be more than one person. So in this particular one, it was, uh, I was myself and I was me watching myself. So I was having both experiences at the same time, but I'm on a stage and it's a theater, this kind of old fashioned, beautiful old world type theater, um, full. And I'm on the stage and my hands are up and my mouth is open. And it's like, I didn't hear anything. I didn't know if I was singing or speaking or what the heck I was doing, but I was on the stage with my hands up, my mouth open, and there's this huge column of light coming down from above through the top of my head, through my body, and then it goes out through my midsection or gut or heart or maybe all of it and my hands and washes out over this audience and they're transformed and not controlled It's like they're healed or they're transformed or taken to another higher plane or whatever. You know, I don't know. I was maybe eight years old when I had this vision. So I was like, well, that was cool. (laughs) And then they all walk out and they're, they're transformed. They're different. So it struck me as a pretty cool thing. And I thought, wow, I wonder what that means. Wouldn't that be neat to be able to do that for people? And so everything I ever did after that, so I thought, well, that must mean I'm meant to be a performer because I, I liked to, loved acting and I loved, um, ta- you know, speaking and performing. And, you know, because I always had that vision. I was like, now I'm doing that thing. And, you know, the industry and the real life experience of it ended up being rather different. So, you know, that was something that 
traveled with me through everything I did. And I think probably that is the story that I want my entire life to tell. So that's a wonderful vision to have. Yeah, it really was. And it was a huge gift. Took me forever to figure out what it meant. And, and so in, and the other thing about photography, so this all ties into photography because what dawned on me recently was, you know, every time I um, shift my life and kind of strike out in a new direction, which is kind of what I'm doing now, kind of shifting the, the weights and measures of the things that I'm doing. And it dawned on me recently, oh my goodness, that vision. So in that vision, I'm working with light, right? It's a, it's a message about light and about transformation and about my purpose in this lifetime. So all of a sudden it dawns on me, in photography, I am literally creating with light, so in that sense, I sort of feel like, wow, what a cool thing. <laughs> you mentioned that you think everyone is sort of built with this innate desire to, to tell stories. And I, and I kind of agree with that, that there's a sort of a creative nature that all children have, but it gets stifled. Yes. Um, and what do you think helped you to sort of maintain that as you grew older and into your adulthood? Was it, well, you tell me, what, what do you think helped you to hold on to that? I'm not sure that I was successful all of my life because I had some pretty dark periods in my life where I felt really lost. And, you know, it wasn't all a a cakewalk like, oh, you know, now I'm this special, you know, light being and I'm going to spread this message. Because really, I mean, I'm of an age where at eight, you know, y'all's watch Mad Men. (laughs) So, you know, that's the era I grew up in. So you don't exactly go out with this, you know, this fresh vision and this idea of telling these wonderful stories and, and go out and expect to be successful or how about just not laughed at? So there was no place in the world for me at that time. And that was, I felt, you know, that was my, my personal experience of it. And um, I, felt, I felt like there was a lot of pressure to be someone other than who I was, and it was very depressing. So I had some pretty dark times where I wasn't sure I really wanted to stick around in this body and in this lifetime. I think we all, you know, I don't know about now. I don't know about kids growing up now as much, but certainly in my era, there's certainly the time where everything about Gosh, you know, the friends you have and the way you make money and the expectations laid upon you by society and family and everything else all say that is not important. That doesn't matter. That will not make you money. That will not make you successful. You know, you have to do this, 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 and this. So I think what brought me back to it, though, was the fact that, you know, I mean, if you're suicidal, there's something wrong. <laughs> and if you actually make it through there without actually carrying out those desires, and then it happens a couple of times, and then you almost die without meaning to uh, from a bone infection, as I did, you know, at some point you go, okay, I think we need to, you know, clear this death wish, get this out of the way, and come back to what's real, because this is one heck of a miserable life if you don't. When you started uh, embracing digital, it seems like that was a real uh, key moment for you. Because uh, as you mentioned before, um, the practicality of being able to make prints was kind of, uh, may have been a little bit difficult depending on on the circumstances. But digital kind of freed you to, to have a complete photographic experience from capture to, to making the final print. Right. And, and was that 
part of it, the fact that you could actually see your vision through to the, to the very end in, in a much easier way than it had been traditionally working with a silver-based medium? Yeah, I think a lot of things had changed by then. That's a really good question. So by the time DSLRs came of age, I mean, like I say, I was always taking pictures. And so I was using these little Sony pocket cameras because they had Zeiss lenses in them. And I, and I just like, that's what I could afford. That's what I could get. So I figured the best lens I could get, get, which was a pocket camera with these little, you know, Zeiss lenses. And I was taking some pretty cool pictures with it, you know, because mostly then in that case, focusing on macro and flowers and, you know, things that you can actually compose because I never stopped composing um, with these smaller cameras. And what was cool was being able to see it on the camera. I didn't know Photoshop at that point, um, but there were other apps that you could pull photos off of and look at and at least admire them that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I'm answering your question quite, quite properly, but when digital finally came of age and they find, because what I was waiting for was for the image you pulled off the camera to look something like what I was, what I used to see back in the day, you know, that kind of quality. And, you know, those JPEGs on those little cameras were not so good. They were fine, small. But when, when digital came of age and they finally were good enough photos and enough megapixels and enough, you know, everything, then to me, I was like, all right, game is back on. Hmm. You, I heard you in an interview talk about the fact that um, you were trained more along a sort of a photojournalism bent. Yep. And with the work that you do now, it's it's much more expressive, more along the lines of, of, of fine art. And tell me about sort of transitioning in that way of thinking in terms of, of, of your work. So what happened was I loved, I still love black and white. I mean, that's still my first love and it's so artistic and it's so full of possibilities and, you know, your imagination kicks into gear big time when it comes to black and white. So I love that aspect. But at the point in my life where I sort of feel like I, a part of my soul was given back to me when I got back into photography with a, with a DSLR, when my husband gave me that camera in 2009 for Christmas, um, it was like he restored a piece of my soul. And at that point, <clears throat> all I wanted was color. It's like I just craved it. it I, in my life, in general, I did. But I craved it. I just want, it's like I wanted to just bathe in color because mm. I felt like I was coming alive again and just, you know, color, 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 color. My mother was very colorful. She loved color as well. And I was really close to her. So we were all, you know, all about color. And I had seen Trey Ratcliffe's work. I had this vision. Let me back up one more step. I had this vision in my mind, kind of like in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Remember all those people oh, that yeah, were like uh -huh. making the same mountain? One <laughs> Richard Dreyfus did it out of mashed potatoes, but other people were drawing it and making sculptures of it of the of the Black Mountain where they were being called. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, great movie. Yeah, love that movie. Well, uh, I had this vision of this particular kind of photo that was like that. I kept seeing it and seeing it. And I didn't know how to make it. I didn't know what it was. I was like, "What is that?" It was kind of like I, I kept thinking, "Is that like a digital version of a woodblock print?" You know, what is that? And so then when I saw Trey Ratcliffe's work, I was like, that's it. Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't know, I still didn't know what it was until I started reading more about him and his work and stuff and realized, okay, it's HDR, but I still had this particular uh, idea about, you know, how I wanted to do it. So it was like scratching an itch, really. It was like this, this craving, like satisfying a craving or scratching an itch, jumping back into this full Technicolor world and um, and creating, well, I, I, always, I always hesitate to say creating art because that's so, such a subjective and relative term. But in my mind, anyway, I was creating art with these incredible colors and textures and it was just awesome. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. Developing your skills as a photographer and an artist is as important as the gear you choose to use. So finding a good educational resource is critical. Lynda.com has served as mine for years, not only because they offer hundreds of great videos on photography, but also they cover other important topics, including videography, audio editing, business planning, and more. They're not just a one-hit wonder, but a diverse destination to learn so much from the convenience of your own home. You can experience this for yourself and watch over 2,000 quality videos for free for a limited time. I've worked out a special deal with lynda.com to provide you with unlimited access to the entire library for free for 10 days. Visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to take advantage of their offer today. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com forward slash The Candid Frame to start your 10-day free trial and help support the show. How, how long did it take you to sort of get past sort of learning the technical aspects of creating images in that way and getting to the point where you felt like you were successfully able to produce consistently solid work. So work that, that if not, let me refine that work that you felt really satisfied you in terms of what you wanted to express in your mind's eye and what you were actually seeing on screen or paper. Well, are you asking how long that took? Yeah. Okay. Still, it's an ongoing process. You know that. And when you're a creative person, you're like, okay, I, there that is but what about this? You know, mm -hmm. so in a sense, it never stops. But okay, I sucked really, really hard in the beginning. Um, yeah, I did. But it was so exciting to be able to produce images like that. It was like an advent calendar. You didn't know what you were going to get every time. It was like, what's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? Oh, my God, that's amazing. So um, it took me maybe a year to feel like I'd kind of mastered the ability to have an idea and then produce it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say, I don't think we ever really totally master this whole sport, but <clears throat> I felt like I had some ability to kind of go, all right, this is what I see. Now here are the tools and go and do it. Yeah. I think that suckiness has to be part of the process. Oh, totally. To I mean, if you don't suck, how can you appreciate, you know, being not sucking? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like what you just said in terms of you being excited about learning the, the, the process and discovering things that, that help. I think that really 
it can be an, a, a real good way of being able to look at the process rather than being disappointed and feeling like you're not talented or you're not good enough. And it can be such a, such a burden for people to carry. And exactly. it's just wonderful that you can encourage well, people to, to really to, sort of embrace it completely. I totally agree with you. And there's two things about that. One is, now watch me forget the second one after I finish explaining <laughs> the first one. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. You said, so, one thing is when I, I, so I do voiceovers professionally. And when I, I had done voiceovers professionally before I built my own studio. But in that scenario, I didn't have to produce the audio. So when I built my studio, I had to become an engineer as well. And your ear, you have to tune your ear to frequencies. And you don't hear those frequencies in the beginning. Like my husband helped me set up my, my, you know, still helps me with my studio. He's a musician and he's got like the ears of God. I mean, they're amazing. It's amazing what he can hear. So he'd be going, uh, you know, well, you don't want to have, and he'd be, you don't want to have too much at the low end because it's going to go all. And I could never hear what he was talking about as he was tweaking the system. Mm -hmm. And then over time I got better. I could start hearing, oh, now I'm hearing it, man, you have to, it takes a while. So it's the same thing in photography. And especially with a new, like if you're learning HDR for the first time or, you know, learning to use, I don't know, whatever technique you happen to be using at any given moment, it takes a while to develop the eye and to de develop the feel and develop the understanding that dark tones create this feeling and, you know, too much, you know, like some people don't see that this one little area of their photo, the highlights are blown out. You just don't even see it mm -hmm. until you've done it for a while. So... That process takes time and it's exciting because your vision just keeps growing and growing and growing. And um, true to my word, I forgot the second thing I was going to say, but that's a big one. And I think, oh, here's the second one. I think a lot of people now, especially nowadays, approach this whole thing from a technical point of view. How do I use Lightroom correctly? What's the best way to, mm -hmm. you know, do Photoshop? Which slider should I use? You know, it's all looking to the outside for... What's the best way? What's the right way? What's the smart way? How, is, how are you doing it? And I'll do it that way. Instead of trying to understand it, flip it the other way and go, I want it to feel like a, sun, a sunrise, but in the middle of the day, but only in this part of the picture. How do you do that? You know? And that should, to me, that's in a truly creative artistic process. That's what should drive your, um, you know, your tool learning, but a lot of people with, especially with so much education around and so many tutorials and everybody saying, this is how you should do it. It's really easy to get it reversed and start to tighten up and, and worry about doing it right. Yeah. And you've just explained why I like so many of your images, because you're, you're making your vision the, the priority rather than the technique. And, and I think that's, probably what my major complaint is about some of the HDR work that I've seen is that I see the technique there, mm -hmm. but I don't feel anything. And you don't, think, yeah, you don't know what the, what are you trying to say here? It's right. like somebody who's using a lot of fancy words and you're like, okay, well, what are you, what are you trying to say? <laughs> we just say it, <laughs> you know, it's like that. I, it was really funny because I got this stuck in my mind. This was probably a year ago. I reposted a photo recently of this train that I, I just, for the hell of it, I wanted to make it like an interdimensional train that, like, it looks like a normal train, but it's interdimensional. And it dropped in, and it's getting ready to go out again. And, like, what would that look like? And, you know, I had the image that I had, and so I started just dreaming up 
what I thought would be happening, at least in my, what I would like to see happening with this totally normal train that goes through here. I live in Truckee, California, so it goes through here every day. But what if it were an interdimensional train? So it's totally out of my imagination that I came up with this and I used real clouds. You know, I had lots of clouds and, you know, created this effect and I liked it a lot. So the first time I posted it a year ago, somebody goes, there was a couple people that mostly people liked it just because, you know, it was kind of crazy and unexpected, but a couple people really didn't like it because they said too many clouds, it's too distracting. It wouldn't look like that. And I laughed out loud because I'm like, oh, my God, you have seen an interdimensional train and you know what it looks like. I've got to talk to you (laughs) because they were like criticizing it based on some idea they had of my use of the clouds and whether it was distracting and whether, you know, oh, it wouldn't it was the wouldn't have looked like wouldn't look like that. Yeah, that cracked me up because that's total giveaway. I'm like, how do you know? What, have you seen an interdimensional train right before it takes off? Because if you have, I seriously want to meet you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, those are the those are the kind of funny things that you know, working from the outside in will lead you to say, and you really shouldn't say those things <laughs> ever. <laughs> you, you speak to the whole idea of of getting comfortable with your voice. Yeah, I think I think so much of you know sharing sharing our work is always just a loaded thing. Even for mm-hmm. people who've been doing it for a long while, I get nervous when I sit down and I share people about my work with people. But you know, you just you speak to the point that that this is what you are trying to express, and it seems like you completely understand that not everybody's going to get it, Mm-mm. and that that's okay. Uh, and it's not so much a question of whether it's good or it's bad. It's like, have I been successful in being able to express it? And then letting that sort of be the gauge of whether something's working or not personally. Yeah. I think, um, I totally agree with you. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think also, I don't know. And this is a life thing. Like, I was so nervous to start sharing my work in the beginning when Google Plus started. That was kind of the turning point for me because I'd done a little bit of social and a little bit of sharing, but it was all just family and friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was all sweaty and terrified doing that. So I thought, what the heck am I doing sharing this publicly? But but I comforted myself by knowing that my public was really small. (laughs) (laughs) So so I felt that, okay, I could pretend like I was a little bit invisible and just start sharing because I was so terrified that, and I knew that I wanted to share. I wanted to have a bigger voice in the world, but what I had to do was desensitize myself. So I just had to start sharing, 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 sharing so that enough input could start happening that I could just start not caring. And I don't know if you ever get to the point where you don't care because, you know, if people say hurtful things, it's hurtful. But at the same time, you know, you have a choice. I can either hide in my basement and never let anybody talk to me, or I can just, you know, suck it up and get out there. And And the thing that helps me the most is to know what my, I hate to say purpose in life, but kind of what my, what my ultimate story is and what I really want to say and the impact that I really want to have in the world. And, and that you know, you make the ceiling big enough, you make your, your purpose, your, even if it's something you make up, you make the reason for doing it so big that it really doesn't matter. 
anything along the way doesn't matter because in context of where you're going, it's small. Yeah. It's when it's the when it's the highlight of your day what someone says about your work and like that's what you're waiting for. Then it, it can be you can feel like a human pincushion then. Mm. Well, you, you've mentioned Google Plus, and I think that that was a critical component of of your photographic journey. Yeah. And because you've, I've heard you say that, you know, when you're doing the voiceover work, it was very isolating, yep. but that uh, the social networking really sort of allowed you to connect with a greater uh, creative community with, uh, you know, with people who really shared the same passion uh, with you. Tell me about why do you think that was important then and, and now? Well, I think, first of all, I think one of our basic human, I guess, needs I think we're hardwired to connect and um, even, you know, people can learn in life, can, can suffer from bad, you know, being connected with in a bad way and therefore learn not to want it. But I think, and people can be, you know, like more introverted, but even the introverts want to connect. They just want to connect the way they want to connect. You know, not everybody wants to connect the same way, but <clears throat> it seemed that my path was always pretty out there, you know, um, and in, in voiceover, it was a time, like when I really dove into voiceover, it was a time in my life I was healing from bad things that had happened in my life and, and being isolated was pretty good with me. I really, I moved to the mountains. I got out of the city. <laughs> I was like, uh, I closed the door behind me and didn't really want to be out there in the world for a while. So voiceover was a real healing time for me. And I was able to produce, I was, I was able to connect through my voice and develop my voice and, and, um, you know, start, I started learning a craft that it enables me to reach people in a big way, even when I'm not there. Um, the industry itself got small and made me want to crave a bigger, um, a bigger way, a more artistic way, a more something that I could really, really do from the ins inside out where my real voice was being heard. Um, and so I just, I think, again, I think you're, I think you're driven by your, your, if you're, if you're listening to your heart, to your soul, you're listening to your soul's desire, your heart's desire, the voice, you know, inside, um, it'll draw you in, it will draw you in directions. And that's what happened to me. I mean, voiceover just started to feel too small and I just really needed to connect on a, in a bigger way and have, have an interchange, not just a one way conversation all the time. If you've purchased a new camera for the holiday season or expect to invest in one for the new year, we're here to help you to make the most of it. Whether your goal is to produce better photographs of your family during the holidays, photographing fast action sports, or producing great photographs for your next vacation, the Candid Frame Photo Essentials ebook and video lectures are there to show you how. The 59-page ebook and three-plus hours of video lectures helps you to master the key features of your camera so that you can produce well-exposed, sharp, and color-accurate photographs under virtually any circumstance. Visit thecandidframestore.com and use the discount code TCF2014 and purchase it for just $59. 
You'll not only learn how to master your camera, but you'll also be supporting the work that we do at The Candid Frame. Again, visit thecandidframestore.com and use the promo code TCF2014. You know, I think that's why you've created such a large community for yourself is the fact that you are so tapped into why you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that so many people aren't, aren't accustomed to thinking about, especially when it comes to creative creativity, the why, uh, especially with photography, they're so fixated on the sort of the technical and the, and the, you know, all the, all that stuff that really isn't about the why it's right. more about the how. And I think when people hear you and they see your work, it gets revealed to them that that's what they're really aspiring, aspiring to do. And, uh, and, and it's something that I certainly appreciate uh, about your work and, and the conversations that you've had when you sat down with others on, on your own interviews that you really tap into that. And I think that's, that, that's so important to be reminded of because I think it's what helps propel, propels us to move past our insecurities. Right. Allows us to move past our the the the, the facts that we may not know everything technical about photography, but nevertheless we continue to want to find some way of being able to express how we feel and how we see in in a photograph. Exactly. I think. Well, I think it was acting. I mean, my family was very. Um, I grew up in a family that was, you know, all about creating your own success and. Like when I was 12 years old or 11 years old, my dad was always like about self-improvement, right? So he would do Evelyn Wood speed reading and then he'd make a family class out of it where we'd have to meet once a week and learn how to do that. And then he'd do like Success Motivation Institute and like all the stuff that's all before that neurolinguistics programming was built out of. We did back way back, you know back in the day where it was all first happening and he would do these courses and we, we'd come home and have to do them. So <clears throat> this notion of you having something to do with your own happiness and your own success and your own, you know, way in the world was instilled early on. And I was always curious, you know, I was always, I was always like, but why, but why, but why? And so when I got into acting, you know, you really had to know your character and why they did things. And then, my very first agent, who was renowned in the in that scene at the time, uh, she came to a class I was doing, and she said, "As an actor, all you have is you. You are your instrument. You are the tool. You are. The, you have to know you better than anything and anyone in the world, because that is all you have." is your voice and your knowledge of yourself and your ability to express as an actor. And honestly, I have found that to be true no matter what I do. So I started in personal development work then and, you know, did it intensively most of my life because it started off because, well, I'm going to do it for my acting, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I got into it and I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea. And And this real thirst for creating a life and creating a self that wasn't simply the result of conditioning. I didn't just want to be the sum total of everything that somebody had put in my head. I wanted to be thinking original thoughts and I wanted to be expressing who I really am, like the spirit and soul of who I really am. And so personal development work became a way to clear the, clear the rubble 
and um, and clear a way to be able to do that. So now, you know, when I first started to realize that not everybody did that, <laughs> number one, that was like, really? Why aren't you doing that? But it's a very difficult process and full of challenges and rewards. So I, I mean, but I, so I understand why a lot of people don't do it. But the thing that I know and I had a, a coach in my voiceover world. It was, you know, one of the world's top voiceover coaches. She always pushed us to develop our own, what she called signature. Um, your signature is your point of view, your unique take on the world. Um, your, you know, you may be like in voiceover, you may be taking somebody else's script, but what they're paying for you for is your signature take on those words. And that's what's unique. That's the thing nobody else can do like you because there's only one you. So you got to know you better than anything and bring that to your work. So now, cut to photography, it all shows up. Who you are, you know, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're approaching your work, it all shows up. You cannot hide who you are. But if you, it's about being conscious of and like okay, so I had a, a you know a mentor who said you want to be a conscious competent, not an unconscious one. Because when you're an unconscious competent, you can be really good at something you do, but you don't have you know you really don't have control over the whole thing because you don't really know you know quite who you are and where it's all coming from. If you're conscious, you have choice and you have options. And I find it to be true in photography too, because especially now. People lament, oh, my God, everybody's an artist now. Everybody's taking pictures and, you know, like, where, how do you make, make a living and how do you make your mark? And I'm like, because you are an individual. So your job is to figure out what you have to say and how you want to say it in your own unique way. Not, <clears throat> I'm going to do it this way so it's different from this guy because you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing that one around. Um, stop and figure out who you are behind your work and within your work and what you want to say and what a difference you want to make in whatever sphere of influence that you're in, whether it's just your family or whether it's the world. Um, that's how you're going to find your art and your unique voice and your signature that everyone will recognize. It's not about technique. Tell me a little bit about your, your process because I look at your pictures and it's just really stunning uh, and they're really beautiful and they really move me in, in many instances. But um, I'm wondering when you come upon a scene, whether it's a natural one or whether it's one in, a, in an urban situation, do you make the photographs knowing where you're going to take them or do you make the photographs and discover what they can be when you sit down in front of the computer? Well, okay, so a couple things. One, you're using a great word, which is make the photograph. I mean, our our friend Rick Salmon will always say, you know, make your photograph, don't just take it. Mm -hmm. So I don't always know how it's going to end up. Sometimes I'm really quite surprised. But most of the time, first of all, I don't press, I don't, <laughs> I, always, I always say I don't pull the trigger. I guess I'm supposed to say you don't press the shutter. Um, I don't pull the trigger until I feel, oh, <gasps> That, mm. that gasp, that yeah. feeling inside that says, oh God, that's it, you know, or something. Or sometimes I'll take a photo if I'm like, I think that's it. I think there's something there. I can't quite see it, but I think that's it. Because better to take it and then throw it away later, or you might see it later. I never, I never take a photo if I'm just looking at it and think, meh, 
I just won't, I just won't take the photo. Mm -hmm. So I do that first. And, and I will say that, um, usually now, see, this is, this is where it it gets better and better over time because you get better and better at making these determinations about what the photo really is and what it wants to say. And then choosing the right settings, the right lens, the right exposure, the right time, the right light, you know, there are all those choices to be made, but it's all about the context of the photo to me. Um, like I might find like locally, I might find an incredible scene at noon and I'm like, but the sun's too high, but oh my God, when the sun's over there, that is going to be amazing. And then I'll come back at that time and take that photo. Right. And then, then it's, then I take it into the, into what, well, I'm more of a Photoshop girl than Lightroom, but anyway, whatever you, you do. And I say, what, what is it saying? What does it want to say? Where is its voice? And so that's, at that point is where I decide, am I going to go more fanciful with it? Or am I going to stay really realistic with it? Um, and very often I have a sense of which, which direction when I take it. But not always. I just, I will just always know that I've got a good photo. At least I hope I do. Sometimes I pull it in and go, look at that. It's blurry. That's super awesome. <laughs> so that's kind of a general answer to your question because every, every situation is a little bit different. It, I, I really can't see uh, a timeline for the images, but it seems like in some of the images that the, the style of the sensibility has changed. Yeah. Um, t- talk about uh, about that because it, it seems it, it, it's always seemed that your use of HDR um, has always had a, a, a subtlety to it. Yeah. And it's and I think we kind of addressed that through through vision. But it, it seems to me that you've 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 been refining it in your own way. And, and I was hoping you might be able to explain what what that is. Yeah. Um, I'm aware of that. I'm not, I don't do it. Like I don't sit down to consciously go, this has to be different. Um, but I, first of all, in terms of knowing yourself, I'm someone who needs to move. I I can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again, or I will go out of my mind. Um, so anything that gets too repetitive is suddenly just not interesting to me. So to, to do the same kind of processing that I did five years ago, well, I wasn't processing five years ago because I don't think all those tools, I hadn't come into my own with those things. Um, no, that's not true. I think I did start about five years ago. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. Anyway, point being, um, I was a different person then. And when you work from the inside out, like this is the thing. There's, there's a conversation about, well, you know, having a signature is important. No, having a signature is bad because you can't just keep producing the same photos over and over again. And I'm like, we're all saying the same thing. If your signature, and I'm using that word just as an icon to refer to this entire topic of working from the inside out and and creating and expressing that way, <clears throat> your signature is going to evolve. It's going to change because you do, because your eye gets better, your sensibilities change, your... Um, uh, what you know, the things you crave, and what you're what you're thinking about changes. Seasons change, you know. And if you're not moving and evolving, then you're stuck. You're you're stagnant. 
Um, if I go back to voiceover, see, I, I like cross training. I've always believed in in cross training in all of the sports that I ever did because you can't just train the same muscles over and over again in the same way or other ones get weak, which weakens the whole system. So you cross train to stay strong all over. So to me, if I refer back to voiceover, to me, that's cross training. And one of the one of the big lessons in in uh, that this I learned from Marie Tobias, Maurice Tobias, um, about signature is you have to pay attention in voiceover. This isn't necessarily exactly true in photography, but in voiceover, you have to pay attention to how people are talking to the voice in the culture. How are people talking to each other? How are, what are commercials sounding like? What do, how are, um, how are narrations different now than they were three years ago? Because culture evolves, society evolves, better or for worse, it moves, doesn't stay the same. So as a voiceover artist to be successful, you have to stay on top of that wave. You have to stay a little ahead of it and be able to speak. Like you speak differently when you go to a, to a ball than you do when you're hanging out with your friends at Starbucks. You speak differently when you're in a business meeting than you do with your mother. You know, they're all you, but it's you, you speak in a certain way for a particular audience. Okay, so, but the notion of evolution and the way that you, you speak and, and the way you use your voice uh, does apply to photography, um, particularly if you're going to be an artist, you know, if you have to evolve again, you have to know yourself, you have to evolve, you have to move forward and your work has to move with you. You've been teaching now for, for a while and how has that helped to shape you as a, as a photographer? Well, I've been teaching one thing or another for 35 years, I think. Um, so, you know, there's teaching and then there's teaching in specific industries or arts, as it were. Um, I'm actually just, uh, I've been teaching photography in the Arcanum. Um, but I'm actually going to take a little hiatus here for a while because there are some things I want to explore in my own life and work and business and everything that I want to be super focused for and super available for. Teaching, however, is is fantastic because... What I've learned over the years is if you really, really want to understand something, teach it. Now, that goes against another thing that I believe in, which is not everybody should be teaching and hanging out of shingles saying, I'm a professional and I know enough to be teaching because you got to have some expertise. You know, you got to have some, you know, you got to have some oomph behind that. But having to, having to turn what you know and maybe know kind of instinctively around so that someone else can learn it in a progressive way um, re- will define and clarify uh, and really help you understand your thing, whatever it is, so much better. It's, it's amazing. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to suggest or recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Wow. See, I have favorites in so many different genres. I always resist answering this question because I always think if we're going to admire someone, we should admire someone outside of photography. That mean, you know, uh, gosh, Guy Tal, he's in Utah, T-A-L is his last name. Mm -hmm. 
He does amazing work in landscape. Just amazing. But so does Patrick DeFrusia. And so does, uh, I mean, everybody knows Trey Ratcliffe. So does, I mean, there's so many, so many good, good people in photography. But to me, you know, you should be looking at art. Like I love Vladimir Kush, K-U-S-H, is an artist and a fanciful one at that. Um, Maggie Taylor is a photographer, but she does composite work, but she was, she's like one of the originators because she was doing it in the, you know, when you were first able to do it, I think in the early nineties was when she, or late eighties, early nineties, she started doing that stuff. And her husband, Jerry Ullman, Mm -hmm. Ullsman, I hope I'm not saying that wrong. Um, these are all people that, you know, either do what they do incredibly well and have a spirit and a soul behind it or, are out there, you know, cracking the, the cosmic egg, you know, with the way they look at the world. And, and those are, these are the people I go to um, when I just either want to feel good or be inspired or just marvel at. There's a website, actually, you should tell people about or I'll tell people about called Bon Exposé, B-O-N-E-X-P-O-S-E dot com. It's run by a woman named Léodore Selenier. And she's, uh, basically, she's a graphic artist, but she has this website as a collection of artists and photographers that is jaw-dropping. And any time that I just want to step outside of, you know, the way I'm seeing the world and get some fresh eyes and fresh inspiration, I go there. That's my first stop. Uh-huh. Well, I'm looking forward to checking, out, checking that out. I wasn't familiar with that. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's super awesome. And, you know, you asked for one, and I just gave you like a dozen, but um, nothing ever boils down to one for me except light and spirit. <laughs> well, where, pe- where can people go to find out more about you and, and your They can go to KarenHutton.com. That is my, I've actually got a brand new website just in the process of being birthed. It should launch this month. Um, that's the, the hub of my world. And then my photography website is KarenHuttonPhotography.com. Karen, it was a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Such a pleasure to meet you and chat with you. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50, or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is the candid frame.